right, the music's dying, so I guess that means it's time. How are we? Awesome, awesome. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts 19. So I'm going to do a little summary. This is like the last sermon in this series we've been doing. I'm not, I don't stick too rigid to series, but... Uh, this has been on uh, the mission strategy of Jesus, so effective mission, which about five weeks ago I talked about this dynamic of proclamation and demonstration so that we're to uh, preach the gospel and then the gospel is to be demonstrated in our lives. And this was the method of uh, what happened in the Bible, and this is what Jesus calls us to today. And uh, then laid a foundation of, uh, called Chronotic, Chronotic Christology, talking about uh, the self-emptying and dependence. And then talked about what that actually looks like is a life of living in the voice. And all these messages are online if you missed any of these. So I'm just trying to recap. Uh, but living in the voice of God is, uh, is the posture of what dependence actually looks like. And then last week talked about uh, this the work of grace called sanctification, uh, a consequent work of grace to salvation. So we have a salvation experience and then talked last week about what does it mean to become holy and kind of forecast that journey in a way uh, as an area where God will speak uh, in our process. And tonight I'm going to end this series talking about the power of God. And this is another consequent uh, experience. Many people have names for this. You could call it baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism and fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, it really doesn't matter what you call it. The reality is that God has also not just called us to walk in purity, he's walked, called us to walk in power. So uh, I'm going to end with that tonight, and uh, I want to, before I really get into it, really talk that it's easy to kind of make it like a ABC, real like logical follow and order, of like this is a path, but it's very these works of grace look different in all of our lives. I like to stress this because it's how we often think we want to get God into some type of equation. God doesn't fit into an equation. But there's a salvation experience of grace. There's a sanctification work of grace, which is a progressive work. There's a work of grace um, to live in the power of God as well. And so I'm going to try to weave... I'll weave a little bit of the sanctification journey into why it's very much not mixed, but they are different, if that makes sense. So I want to cast vision for what does it look like to go on a journey of living in the power of God. So let me pray, and then we'll get into it. Jesus, I thank you that uh, you're a powerful king and that you've called us to be a powerful people because we bear your name. We thank you, Lord, that you're not afraid of power, that you're not intimidated by a powerful people, but you're a leader who leads and governs with such humility and such security that you can have the people you lead shine and be bright lights. And I thank you, God, that you're releasing permission into the room tonight for your people to arise and shine and be who they were created to be. So I pray, God, that you will let hope arise in hearts, that you will give courage to us tonight, and that you will release permission to us for us to go as a people where you would like us to go. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a picture. You can put that picture up. Does it, did we format it? Okay, that's, that works. All right, like a cool picture, right? Um, the power of God is not something that we possess. The power of God is something that possesses us. And I use this picture because uh, saying, acting as if the power of God is something that we wield or control would be like a big wave surfer saying, I wield or control that wave, right? And you just look at that, it's kind of mind-bending to think about, right? The massive power of that wave, right? A big wave surfer doesn't say they uh, control or possess a wave. They simply know how to ride the wave, right? And there's an analogy here that I'll try to build on throughout the night that when it comes to the power of God, this is not something that we control or possess. Uh, We simply learn uh, how to how to be used by it, how to channel, how to ride the wave, the surging power of God. And uh, interesting enough, I kind of like I've done a little bit of study. And anybody seen that movie Chasing Mavericks? And then just in my own thought, it's kind of a cool movie talking about this uh, this culture of big wave surfing. Uh, it's quite dangerous, as you would imagine, but you really have a long and thorough preparation process to get yourself ready to ride on a wave of this magnitude because it can kill you like that. 
and uh, they have to go on a very thorough process. They have to train their lungs. You have to be able to hold your breath for multiple minutes because if you fall, the next wave will come and you can literally be under the water. Uh, because of that, they also have to train themselves not to live in fear because if you go into fear and panic, you will die. Uh, you'll, you'll be full of fear going into the wave, and then when you get under the water, you'll, you'll, pan, um, you know, you'll have a, a panic attack, and, you can, and that's how most people will die. And so there's a very long preparation, and it's not just about learning how to ride a wave. It's an internal journey of learning how to partner with something so massive and powerful. And I'd like to propose that the power of God is no different. It is a wave that is beyond our ability to control. It is beyond our ability to possess. It is something much bigger and much more massive, much powerful than we are. Amen? And so uh, that inner journey of preparation is a lot of like last week. That's the sanctification process. That is what rids fear out of our lives. He makes us perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When we go through the valley of tears and the trials and we partner with him, find his face, he transforms us. He makes us ready to be able to uh, ride the wave of his power, right? So there's an interplay between this internal working and then this external uh, display of partnering with God's power and doing something phenomenal for his name, which is what he wants us to do. Uh, the end result of the sanctification journey, or even just the result of any measure of um, walking in the sanctification journey, is you're able to uh, partner uh, with the power of God in better ways. And I'm going to talk about this more. Um, but the point I wanted to make with this is that you don't start on that wave, right? No one's laughing, so. Uh, it's like the answer to that is yes, that's right. You don't start on that wave, right? I knew guys in college. I, I went to college on the beach, and there were very good surfers I knew that said, I do not get on anything over eight feet because it scares the heck out of me. So that thing can wreck you. And that is probably 50 feet, right? So you do not start on anything. You start on very small things when you're learning how to surf. And uh, I'm going to try to propose tonight that it's no different when it comes to the power of God. So... You can put that slide up now. Um, I'm going to read a few verses before we get into Acts 19. I'll probably just quote them for you, actually, um, just on this topic, and then we'll dive into it. So in Ephesians 1, Paul's praying. He prays this. He says, I pray that the God will open your eyes. He'll enlighten your eyes with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So he's praying for wisdom and revelation to come and fill you, to open your eyes so that you can perceive something. And he talks about three things, but I'm just going to talk about the third thing. He prays the spirit of wisdom and revelation will come upon you, open the eyes of your heart so that you will know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe. So you actually need wisdom and revelation just to understand how much power you have access to in your life. It is in you and it is towards you. Paul in 1 Corinthians, he is talking to the Corinthian church and he's saying, my message was not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the spirit of God and of power so that your faith wouldn't rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. This is a verse that I feel like has kind of get shoved away sometimes. And I wish I, I'm not um, against in any ways um, academic Christianity or seminary. I've... Um, about halfway done with my master's program right now. Spent a lot of time in classrooms. But this is not a verse that's talked about very much in classrooms because it's, uh, it's intimidating, I think. And especially in kind of the Greek, uh, the Greek birthed Western world of uh, enlightenment and, and rationale, uh, we like to think that we can argue people into Christianity. And the reality is if you can argue someone into something, you can argue someone out of something. And I think that's what Paul's getting to here. I'm not trying to argue you. I'm not trying to woo you with my oratory skills. I'm simply trying to preach the gospel and let it be demonstrated by the Spirit of God. Right? Paul is actually talking about a co-laboring relationship here. A lot of things we're preaching all tie together. I'm going to do my job, which is to speak the truth of your word. He'll do his job, which is to demonstrate it. But I think it's interesting that Paul's praying, I don't want faith to rest on wisdom. I want it to rest on power. Right? So there has to be some type of relationship with the power of God in order for this to be true in our lives. Because I read that verse, I say, one, I want faith in my life to rest on the power of God. And two, I want those that I minister to to create a culture where we're not centering around the sermon. We're centering around the presence 
right? It's not, oh, Jordan preaches great. It's, wow, there's something about God moves and swirls in this place and God's there, right? That's what faith needs to be rest upon is the presence of God because I'm not like with you each day preaching to you in your kitchen as you're eating breakfast, right? And at work when you're having a bad day. I, I'm not preaching to you. I'm not, I'm like one person. I'm up here on Sundays once a week. But the presence of God, the power of God is with you always, right? So faith doesn't rest on the sermon, doesn't rest on the wisdom, it rests on the power. So we need to have an understanding of the power of God. Uh, there's a woman named Pandita Ramabai. Most people don't know her, but God used her to spark a mighty move of God in northern India in 1905. It was simultaneous to the Azusa Street Revival. Most people say that the charismatic church was birthed out of Azusa. That's because it was more um, publicized because it was in America. But there's also a simultaneous move of God that happened in northern India through a woman in a very male-dominated patriarchal society still to this day. God used this woman, Pandita Ramabai, and turned her world on fire, sent women out two by two preaching the gospel healing sick seeing amazing miracles take place this is a quote that I like by her she says people must not only hear about the kingdom of God but must see it in its actual operation on a small scale perhaps and in imperfect form but a real demonstration nonetheless I like that uh, so this is important um, and why why is this so important um, first of all is that God is not a disconnected father Right? What he speaks, he also does. Right? We hold us, we say, you better practice what you preach. Right? God is the ultimate form of integrity, and he is not passive in his behavior. So when he tells us that he loves us, he also demonstrates his love right? through his acting, through his actions, through his demonstration. He is not content just to sit back and, and write you a letter that says, I love you says the word came and became flesh and tabernacled among men and then died on a cross in Jesus Christ. Right? So he is passionate about demonstrating his love. And the love of God and the power of God are inseparable. I believe the power of God is the real life demonstration of his love. Right? We say God loves you. The power of God moving and doing miraculous intervention in whatever form, and we're going to talk about that in a bit, is what does this actually look like practically? But the power of God is the love of God on display, right? It's not, um, it's not like Zeus hurling like lightning bolts, like flexing his power, like, I am God. Look at how powerful I am. That's not really how God demonstrates his power in the scripture. What did Jesus do? He healed People. He fed hungry people. He, you know, he uh, calmed storms. Like there were these acts of love that were actually communicating to people, I love you. Like, and it's amazing. People say, like, you know, the weird stories where he spits in the mud and stuff. Uh, in that culture, like, nobody would touch. Like, everything he did was, like, very intentional to communicate love. Like, lepers were untouchable. He would go and touch them. Right, like everything Jesus is doing is communicating love, and that's what his power was on display, was this love. So I just want to build that bridge tonight, that the acts of God are acts of love. They're demonstrations of love. It's what love looks like. Heidi Baker, uh, she says, love looks like something, right? And so our love has to look like something, and that's a proclamation and demonstration. We cannot just tell people God loves them. It must be demonstrated in small form and perfect, perhaps, but it must be a real demonstration nonetheless. Amen? The second reason this is very important is because the church was built on the acts of God through his disciples, right? The book of the early church is called the Acts of the Apostles. Have you ever thought that it is not called the sermons of the apostles, right? We don't have... Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, sermons, right? No, it's acts. There's something about the acts of God that built the early church. And the reality is that God uses miracles. He uses his acts. He uses these demonstrations of love to unlock the hearts of people, to unlock the hearts of families, to unlock the hearts of cities, to unlock the hearts of nations. And you should be at Acts 19. I'm just going to read one biblical example of this. This is Paul when he comes to Ephesus. Okay, end of this story, Ephesus was the leading church in the whole region, right? So this is the genesis of the most powerful church in the Mediterranean world. 
in the days of Paul in the early church. Um, I'm just we'll we'll read we'll read starting in verse eight. Uh, so actually, we'll just we'll actually start in verse eleven. I'll just preface it till then. Paul comes. He finds a group of a small group of people. Uh, just a small group of disciples. He prays on them. He prays over them. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. It says they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. That's verse six. Um, and then it says he goes into the synagogues. The synagogues don't like him, so it's a closed area. And this is a lot of uh, witchcraft and going on uh, in Ephesus. Um, so then he begins reasoning with these disciples. Right. And now verse eleven. Uh, my Bible says miracles at Ephesus. It says God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Okay, then it goes on to talk about the seven sons of Sceva story, right, which kind of freaks people out because it's like, whoa, this stuff's real, right? And you, you can do the study on this later, but the point I want to make is that these miracles that Paul's doing turns into fruit in the whole region, right? Because uh, I want you to go down to verse 19. It says, Many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them up in the sight of everyone. They counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. That is the modern-day equivalent of over $10 million that is getting burned in the middle of the street. That is nuts, right? So I want to make the, the argument here that the power of God moving through Paul led, it unlocked this whole region. And the end of this, it says, the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing, right? So it starts with a small group of people who are seeking the Lord diligently. The power of God begins to move and it unlocks an entire region. Right? There's something about the acts of God, his acting, that is more powerful than even like the speaking. And it's not that they're disconnected, but the acts of God are what verifies the speaking of God. You see what I'm saying? You can say, you know, God loves you, but when someone experiences the love of God with that, do you see the power of that? Right? You can say, God is the healer. God is all-powerful. Okay, you know, we reason that. But then when it happens in front of you, it changes, right? There's, there's something about that. It's a quality that is more, it's more gravitating. Why do we, you know, pay so much money to go to live events as opposed to watch them on TV? It's more comfortable at home. doesn't cost as much money at home. I can get all my favorite thing. I can watch it in my underwear if I want, actually, at home. But I'll pay all this money and buy a plane ticket and go and spend yada, yada, yada just to watch it live. Right, because there's something more dynamic about when you're experiencing it. You can watch a TED Talk like an hour after someone gives it, but people pay like $1,500 to go sit on the seat and watch it live. Why? Because there's something ingrained in human beings that we want to, we're, it's experiential knowledge. And this is what Paul's trying to get at. I don't want it to rest on the faith of men, just the, the wisdom. I want it to rest on power. Okay, um, this is real, right? And I just want to share this example just because this is still happening today. All the ministry that we're seeing Riverhouse do in India, which is a lot now. We have Riverhouse India. They just told me this week they're planning a church. There's Riverhouse Church being planted in the next few months. We have a men's seminary. A women's seminary is about to start. We're having, you know, a, there's a pastoral network of five, 600 pastors at this point that's being birthed. There's these crusade evangelism that's being birthed. All these things, I can trace them back to one event. When I got into a church, they put a crippled lady in front of me. I had my right hand on her right knee, and John had his other hand on her left knee. As we prayed, it popped. She got up, started walking up and down the street. And it wasn't just for the people around that that unlocked, but the pastors that were sitting there watch it, it unlocked. There was a lot of turbulence that day. They didn't even want us to be out. They started taking us from house to house to house because they said, God is moving. And out of that one event, We've seen all of this birth now. There's something about the demonstration of God's power that will do in a day, in a moment, that you couldn't do in 30 years of working. One day of favor, one day in the power of God will do what you cannot do in your whole lifetime because it's God in on our 
right? We are made to live in the power of God. It is not to rest just on our, on our, in, on our side of things, my oratory skills, our ability to communicate the five steps of the gospel. It is the power of God, and it's the power alone. And we, can't, we cannot disconnect. We cannot be passive in this. We have a role to play. All right, and so that's what I want to do because sometimes there's a lot of mistrust around the power of God. There's a lot of even that I've found in my life, and I'm sure you've had, it's kind of uncomfortable to say, I'm pursuing power. Are you following me? All right, there's perfect power, corrupts, complete power, corrupts completely. There's all these mindsets around power, and that is because we have a, a, a poor understanding of power in the world. Right? And so a lot of times people will read these scriptures and they'll get excited because they think this is, this is justifying a, the world's understanding of power. And it's like, ooh, God wants me to be powerful. It's like Zeus, right? Power. I got the power, right? And, and it actually sets us up for failure, right? And a lot of people will see that, they'll fail, or they'll watch somebody else in that mindset fail. So they'll say, oh, I don't want that. I just want to be sinner saved by grace. Right? Uh, right, And it, we kind of create this comfort, right? And it's not bad motives. It's just bad understanding. So I'm hoping to kind of unlock a correct understanding of the power of God and what the journey actually practically looks like so that we can be liberated to pursue it and understand that we're pursuing a good thing and that we're going in a good direction. Does that sound good? Okay. So you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 12. Paul, and this, this is one of the most emotional letters in the Bible, Paul is being uh, pretty viciously attacked. Uh, his apostolic ministry is being challenged. And uh, you can read, there's all this, um, he's going on almost in a defense um, that you are my children in the Lord. So it's a very passionate plea. And at this point, uh, he is describing, he's describing the vision that he had in the beginning of this chapter where he was taken to the third heaven and given his authority from the Lord. Uh, and then he says... I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read verse 9 and 10. He says, And God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Right, and then he goes on to talk about, yes, the power of the signs, the, the, the powers in my life. But it's power perfected in weakness. And when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Okay, we've all heard this verse, right? Let the weak say I am strong, right? Okay, this was my understanding of what that meant. I'm going to have to go through like, you know, a few days, maybe a few weeks, Maybe a few months, maybe even a year of the feeling of weakness, right? I'm going to have to experience weakness so that then I can get transitioned over to the power and I can feel strong, right? This was my understanding. It was like, okay, when I'm feeling weak, when I'm feeling vulnerable, it's just for a bit, then I'm going to get transitioned over and all of a sudden I'm going to be powerful again, right? That, 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 was, that was not like, that was 100% what I believed that to be. So anytime I was feeling weak, I started quoting this verse, make me feel strong again. Anytime I started feeling vulnerable, make me feel really, really uh, not vulnerable again, <laughs> right? And I felt like this was my scriptural justification for it. I, uh, I, I had a, probably about four years ago, I was laying in bed journaling to the Lord. And my cry for years has been, Lord, I want more of you. I want to see your face. I want to see your power. I want to see my experience line up to what scripture says it can be. And I'm in my, I'm just in this place of prayer before I fall asleep. And I often pray and I often journal before I fall asleep. And I'm journaling and I remember the Lord came. He began speaking to me. He said, Jordan, you are on a journey into your weakness and my power. And it, something about it just kind of shifted. I was like, what do you mean a journey? <laughs> right? Like I thought, I thought weakness was like an experience. I don't want to journey into weakness. I want to experience it so that I can get the power. And the Lord began to renew my mind through a series of events and just, you know, just life since then. The weakness was never meant to be an experience. This was meant to be the posture. 
And it's always, as you journey into weakness, as you journey into vulnerability, as a posture of your life, my power can be manifested through you. And this changed. This changed a lot of thinking. This changed a lot of prayers. It's a crap. This is what I've been praying for, isn't it? It's like, oh, yeah, I gotcha. Right? And this sounds difficult, and there is a difficulty into it, but I'm hoping to expand upon what this looks like so that you can be liberated to understand that when you're praying for the power of God, you're praying for a good thing that is going to form Jesus in you. And it's not going to puff you up in some type of vanity and, you know, domination type mindset. Right? The problem with power even when we see it, I'm going to like remove myself as if we're watching someone minister in power, right? The problem, or when someone comes and they give up, you know, we experience God in a powerful way through someone. I'm sure most of us in this room can think of a time where someone said something or prayed something or a miracle's happened or something, and you're like, wow, that person's moving in the power of God, right? You, you can relate? The problem with this is from the, we, we perceive power through this triumphalism. Like this Christian triumphalism, we like perceive it through this lens of like, wow, that is so powerful. Like almost like, man, that person is like powerful. Holy cow, are they even human? I just want to be like them, right? That, that is our natural inclination of how we perceive power. We will create this exalted sense, and it's like this triumphalistic perspective where we see people who move in the power of God through that lens. And what that does is it actually creates this distance between us. It says, well, that's amazing, but we don't actually think that we can do it because we know how human and messed up and weak we are, right? So this is, this is how we view this, right? And... Uh, this isn't right because the power of God is perceived through triumph, but it's actually experienced through vulnerability and faith, right? It's perceived through triumph, but it is actually experienced and lived out through vulnerability and faith. We journey into our weakness and to his power, right? Um, what do I mean? I'm just going to give a real life example. We just went to India three weeks ago, whenever it was, and 23 people came, and we had more than that that applied. And uh, for the last nine months, it had been a dying process for me because I read people's, I read people's, uh, you know, their, their uh, applications, and why are you wanting to come on this trip? Well, I want to see the power of God. I want to see miracles. Right? I had a whole, I, there's literally hundreds of people there that spent months of their time. There were pastors that took a leave from their church planning and organizing this event. And what they were all saying, we cannot wait to see God move in power. We can't wait to see the miracles. Right? And the reason they're saying this is because, one, it got demonstrated a year prior. And two, because the Lord had given me a promise. And I told them this is what God's going to do. And it sounded Good, and I believed it, right? This is going to do this. There's going to be salvation. There's going to be healing. There's going to be deliverance. There's going to be transformation. Family lines are going to be transformed. We said all these things. I said all these things in faith. But I began, I had to sit in this, in this uh, stillness, filling all the expectation. And in that moment, there's like nowhere to run or hide, right? It's like, okay, they're all expecting this. And it's like, you're coming, right? <laughs> You're going to be there, right, God? Like that promise, I really did hear from you, right? Right? All of a sudden, you start experiencing extreme vulnerability because you chose to believe and confess the promise of God, right? And it's kind of like, like a big wave surfer, I'd imagine, when they're sitting on that board and they know that water behind them, they know it's about to happen, right? Like, it's about to become that, and it's flat, but it's about to become that, right? And I could feel it for months. I could feel the vulnerability growing, and there was nowhere to run. There was nowhere to find comfort. It was I had a promise, and that was it. And that is weakness. That is vulnerability. And God wants us right there in that point where it's just you and my bare promise, and what are you going to do? 
See, why do we need to get sanctified? Why do we need to get the fear away? Why do we need to learn how to live in the voice of Jesus? Why do we need to learn to self-empty? Because when we get into weakness, our natural MO is get me out of this as fast as possible. And this is what happens. We start just trying to find a way to wiggle ourselves out. Like, I'm all good, strong. I just want to feel strong again, right? And we might feel strong, but we become disconnected from the Father, Right? He wants to learn. He wants to create the ability, the strength, the endurance to be able to stay in your weakness and vulnerability where all I've got is my surfboard, my promise, and I'm waiting for this wave, and it's powerful, and I'm kind of nervous right now, right? Like, they're just, they're, it's, it, God has a way of removing everything else where it's just you and him. And there's extreme vulnerability, right? And I remember I was, when we got there, I'm sitting there looking at all these pastors, all these people that paid all this money to come all over, all the investment, and they give me a microphone, and everyone's sitting there with their eyes looking at me, and it's like, oh boy, right? But I knew I had what it took, because I sat in that place, and he continued to just, less me, it's not about you. 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 I can't tell you how many times. It's not about you. Not about your faith, not about what you feel, not about anything. I spoke, you believed it, just stand. Just stand and let me use you. Humility is knowing who you are without Christ and who you are with Christ at the same time. And when you stay in this place, trust me, you're going to find out, is there humility in you? Are you going to run away or are you just going to stand? No, it's not about me. It's not about me. I'm weak. I'm so weak. I'm so vulnerable. I, have, I feel weaker than anybody else in the room. But I know who my God is. Right? You journey. If we want to, and the God move, the power of God move, and it thrilled me probably more than anybody else. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, whoo, whoo. <laughs> I feel strong. <laughs> I feel strong all of a sudden. You know, but nine months of sitting in that place, it is not easy. It's a pressure cooker, right? So what I'm trying to display here is that God has promises on your life of moving in his power. He wants to use you in his power, but we can't squirm out. Are you going to times where it's just, are you going to believe in my bare word? Are you going to believe in my promises? Are you going to sit with the reality of how weak you feel? I tell people sometimes, there, there's, he's given me promises that he, he said, Jordan, I want you to start confessing them to me with your mouth. I was like, man, this is vulnerable. Nobody's even around. I don't like doing this. Makes me feel like a little kid with his dad's like doctor coat on saying, I'm a, I'm a surgeon. It's like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. He's, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And then you say, I want you to confess it to this person. I don't want to. Why? Because it feels so dang vulnerable, right? This is a path of vulnerability and weakness. This is not some type of triumphant puff my chest. Look what God can use me to do. That's not real power. I had a vision about a year and a half ago, um, and you know, I, don't, I don't share these often, I, and this is just a very uh, strong quality um, where I really knew the Lord ministered to my heart, and usually I can know because uh, I was literally sitting in a coffee shop doing nothing spiritual, and boom, just had a very powerful visitation with the face of God, and in this vision I saw, uh, I saw uh, up at Table Rock, I looked and it was like, I, I knew it was the church. I knew it was, it was Riverhouse. I didn't know what Riverhouse's name was at the time, but I, and, and maybe even the corporate church. Um, but it was like a wild Mustang up on Table Rock. And this thing was like, you know, like rearing up on two, like this picture of beauty and power and passion and wildness, right? And I'm like watching it, and I knew it was like worshiping. And I was like beholding it, like, wow, this is beautiful. And then I saw Jesus walk up. And he, like, walked up next to this thing, and he just kind of, like, hopped on. And I was like, that's interesting. Took me off guard. And <laughs> that was my thought. And then he just kind of takes it, and he starts riding this horse down into the city. And with each step down, uh, Jesus was, like, dressed like a carpenter up there. But then as each step down, uh, the, the horse started transforming, like, more and more into a donkey, and Jesus started transforming more and more into the king of glory, like radiating. And by the time, like I was the donkey at this point, because um, I knew he was speaking to me. We're like down on 8th Street walking through the restaurants. And I'm like this little nothing donkey. And he is standing like just in this glorified posture. And people were putting their coats on the ground saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he. 
who comes in the name of the Lord. And it was so powerful. My whole body was like trembling. I'm sitting at a coffee shop like, whoa, I need to be alone right now. I don't know what's happening to me. Right? And I've spent a lot of time processing this. And I'm just going to share a little bit that I think applies to this tonight. What does this mean? Right? I don't think one is bad or one is right or one is wrong. But I think the stallion up on the mountain uh, is a picture of our worship. And I believe the donkey is a picture of the ministry that God's called each one of us to. Uh, the stallion is wild, it's free, it's beautiful, it's passionate. And I believe that when we come before the Lord in our private place, in the secret place, that is what our worship and our prayer is to look like. Raw, untamed, passionate. I'm going to express myself in a very dynamic, beautiful way to God. Ministry is a very unremarkable and ordinary it's simple obedience. Like all a donkey is is it does what it's told. Nobody really like spends a lot of time looking at it like, look at that donkey. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> like, you know, gosh, those muscles just ripple. Right? No, nobody watches a donkey run. Nobody pays attention to a donkey. Right? But a donkey is what Jesus chooses to ride into city as a king. And problem is I think we switch that in the church a lot. We think ministry, when God uses us, should be this raw, beautiful, powerful thing. And then our, uh, our prayer lives are kind of unremarkable and ordinary. And I don't think it should be the case. And a lot of times what it looks like is puffed up ministry and we try to you know, let me, let me use my emotion and let me just try to draw you into some type of thing. And right, like, like we carry this burden, like, oh, I need to like, I need to somehow manufacture something that people will really be drawn to. Right. And I'm speaking to myself foremost here. Uh, you know, we can, we act sometimes like we need to advertise a fire. If the fire of God's burning. People will come running. You don't need to tell them. Everybody comes running to a fire. Everybody stops. Everybody gets out of their car. Everybody pulls out their phone. They need to stop. There's something about when a fire is burning, right? But that's his job. That's not our job. Ministry is about being obedient to the word of God, having faith in what he says, and let him do the rest. Our job is just to show up and be obedient. His job is to bring people into powerful experiences. He's the king of glory. We just get the privilege of being the donkeys that usher him into the broken homes and the families and the workplace and the busy place and all the things, all the places that they need to see Jesus, we get to be those donkeys, right? And I believe that a life of power, a powerful ministry is birthed in a passionate place of devotion, right? Power in our ministry comes from passion in our prayer lives, in our lives of intimacy, in our lives of worship. Not vice versa. Not vice versa. We need to get the priorities straight. Uh, this is a quote from uh, Smith Wigglesworth that I like. He's a guy that moved in a lot of power. He says, there's nothing impossible with God. All the impossibility is with us when we measure God by the limitations of our unbelief. Those limitations are caused by fear. I don't want to be a donkey. I don't want to have to sit on the bare word of God in the pressure when it's all around me and feel like all the what ifs, all the questions, all the things. Like, I don't want to embrace weakness. I don't want to pursue weakness. And God's like, don't limit me. You go, you give it all here. You just bank your life on his promise. Put yourself out there. You'll be riding big waves in no time. Right? It's this process of learning. You learn how to ride the wave of God. Amen? And, you know, and humility, I really want to stress it. Humility is inbuilt into this whole process. Right? You can say, well, I've seen people, though, that they move in the power of God, and they kind of have this haughtiness to them. Then they've measured it off. Right? Like the, the power of God's not known outside of vulnerability. Right? You can get an experience, and then you can stop there, and you can kind of become competent. But it's from faith and for faith. Right? So what today is extremely vulnerable won't be extremely vulnerable in six months because our faith is constantly being transformed into experience. Right? I had faith that God would do what he was going to do in India. Now I have experiential knowledge that he did it. So now when I go again, 
I have to get into, right, a new place of vulnerability. There's a new mountain to climb. There's a bigger wave that he's wanting me to ride and us to ride, right? It's from faith and for faith, right? Roland Baker, one of the greatest missionaries alive on planet Earth today, he literally said, confessed one time to a small group of us in Africa. He said, I used to believe that there would come a day where it was like vulnerability and faith and vulnerability and faith, and then it's like, oh, it's all good. We're here. We've arrived at whatever this place we're supposed to arrive is. He's like, and then I realized it's never going to stop. There's always a greater promise. There's always a greater enemy. There's always a giant to slay. There's always a a wave to ride. There's always something more, right? There's no impossibilities with God. The possibilities are what we measure him with because we will not go here and stay here in our weakness and our vulnerability. This is why sanctification last week comes in. There's like they're not separate. Right? As like sanctification gets us holy and whole. Holy and whole people can stand in the tension. And they won't run. Like Joshua, Moses dies. Everybody's wanting to see, is God with Joshua like he was with Moses? That's always the question in a succession, right? Is God with him like he was? They cross over the 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 river, and the first day they cross over the river. The manna stops. Uh-oh. Right? <laughs> is God with him like he was with Moses? Moses led us 40 days. The manna came every single day. Joshua just led us to a place. The manna stopped. Everybody's chattering. Everybody's talking. They want to see what's Joshua going to do. He's camped at Gilgal. And it says that, uh, and, and, and instead of, he doesn't like do anything crazy. He sits there, and I'm sure in his vulnerability, stays there. So we have no record of any actions he does in this place. We have no record of even him trying to explain why the manna stopped. He just sits there. It's silent. And then the next thing is that the commander of the, of the angel armies comes and has a conversation with Joshua as he's sitting in this place of vulnerability. There's just the point I'm trying to make is it takes fortitude to stand. Stand. Just stand. Stand in the weakness. Confess it. Get yourself on out on the water and then stand there. All right, I'm going to end with kind of a practical. What does power look like in your life? Um, I'm going to read a verse from Romans 12. It's pretty simple. It looks like using, uh, it looks like you alive is what it looks like. Uh, But it looks like you have spiritual gifts. Uh, Romans 12, 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, exhorts in exhortation, who gives with liberality, who leads with diligence, who shows mercy with cheerfulness. That is by no means an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts, but this is the truth. You each have spiritual gifts, and they're absolutely flipping amazing. Right? If you knew how amazing you were, there's no one else you'd ever want to be. So there's no gift you'd want to copy. There's no, you don't want to look like anybody else, right? Not everybody has gifts of healing. Not everybody has amazing gifts of prophecy. Not everybody has gifts of deliverance. Not everybody's an evangelist. I'm just throwing out the ones that we like to idolize and make super cool in the body. Like those are the special people that can, you know, with the real amazing dynamic gifts. We all have the role to pray for the sick. We all have a role of hearing from God. We all have the role of leading people to Jesus. But there are gifts of grace. There's special dispensations that come upon individuals. And we each have one we got to figure out what these gifts are and then exercise them accordingly there's something that you're called to do that is so dynamic and powerful that it's like please don't try to copy someone please don't compare yourself to anybody else because who you are is so flipping amazing that God just dreams of the day of you moving in complete power God will demonstrate his gospel through your life this is the point it's not that it needs to look like anything it's not like that any people say any special gift it just needs to be you living your life in such a way that when you show up people say only God only God right I've seen people give things like I've seen the Ben and Ashley White give gifts that are like people like only God like we needed that today right and then they give it like we don't think of that as like oh that's not like the power of God's healing no that's the power of God I've seen people that will, um, literally, I've heard them, oh, they came in, they hugged me, and I was just praying that day I need a hug. 
What kind of spiritual gift is that? I don't know. Mercy? But it's, you see what I'm saying? There's a demonstration. It's like when we, we there's just God orchestrates our life. Then we believe what he tells us. He will orchestrate and use us in such a way that only God could do such a thing. You have that type of gift. If it's in your leading or your teaching or your exhorting or your prophesying or your giving or your loving or what, there's just so many. We have a class. You can go to the class later. I'm not going to try to talk through them all. But the point is, you have amazing spiritual gifts and you need to exercise them. I want to speak quickly. How do you identify your gifts? Um, I would say pay attention to your desires. What do I have a desire for? There's a gift of healing on my life. I had a burning desire that was birthed in me at one point. I had no experience of seeing these things, but I was chasing people down the street because I was so desirous of seeing God heal, right? If you have a desire like that in your heart, pursue it, right? Go after it. Okay, and then um, ask people, um, reflect upon your life, see where you've seen God moving. Uh, ask people who know you well, what kind of gifts do I have? What do you see God doing through my life? Right? Start paying attention, take an assessment of what's going on in you. All right, and then there's lots of uh, there's lots of uh, of teachings on this as well that we can you know we, we do a class, but there's other stuff I can refer you to. And, but I wanted to share this story too because some people say, well, I, I haven't ever done that before, so I must not have the gift. Anybody said that? And there's a lady named uh, Wendy Backlund. She's like, what if a little kid said that about walking? <laughs> That's funny. We'd all be crawling still. Uh, but, you know, I didn't even ask, I didn't ask Jay Caruza, but I don't even know if he's in here. But uh, I remember I met with him probably nine months ago, and he said, dude, I've never seen healing, yada, 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 yada. I, you know, I'm so scared, intimidated by it and uh, all this stuff. And he just started pursuing it. And uh, he had amazing miracles of healing go through his hands in India. And I was like, you go, you know. <laughs> like, uh, so don't, don't be limited by your lack of experience, um, but also... Uh, you know, pay attention, because sometimes there's lack of experience, and that's because that's just not what's on you. Like, so don't try to be someone else. you got to find who you are, and it's a unique discerning process, right? Um, and then I'm going to end with this. That word exercise is vital. Uh, people say, I want to be really good at basketball. How are you going to get good at basketball? Practice, right? I want to be good at the violin. Practice. I want to be good at anything in life. What do we do? Practice. Right? We have to be a people that exercise what is in us. Go after what's in your heart. Practice these things. And I will close with this thought. If you're not willing to take risk in here, you're not going to take them out there. Right? So use the people. Use your brothers and sisters. Take risk. Practice. What if it is God? We so oftentimes say, what if it's not God? I think I might have heard him wrong. Who cares? That'd be like saying, I might miss this shot. I don't think I should take it. No, take the shot. Go for it. Practice, practice, practice. And pay attention to the promises of God. God will tell you things that you don't believe. God told people things in Scripture that they laughed at and said, you can't use me to do something like that. Don't laugh at God. Just believe his promise and act on it. Confess his promise. Disclose his promises. Tell the people in your life. Tell the intimate people in your life, this is what God's telling me that I'm going to do. Believe it. Put yourself out on the water. Take risk. Pursue weakness. And you will see the power of God move through your life. Amen? All right, I want you to all stand up. I'm just going to pray. Yeah, I just, the power of God, you know, we make it about this one-time experience. And I really intentionally didn't teach on a one-time experience tonight because this is a, an ongoing experience. There's like four times in Acts where the disciples are filled with the power of God. Uh, but there is, uh, there are experiences of his power, unique ones where something amazing happens. Um, I'm not one that have... Uh, I wouldn't point back to experiences in my life. I would point to uh, just breakthrough seasons. So it's different with all of us. But um, in your own words, I just want you to pray right now. And if there's, you're hungering, if you're hungering for more, and I'm always hungering for more. And I just want you to tell the Lord what you want. And then I'm just going to pray for us. And I just believe that God is going to demonstrate his power tonight. It's here. He's in the room. This is his word, right? This is his truth. We're going to ask him to demonstrate it. So I just want you to ask him, Lord, show me. Show me your power. Lord, give me a promise. Some of you need a promise. 
Some of you guys need wisdom. What is it, what does it look like in my life? Some of you need courage. I need to pursue vulnerability and weakness in my life. Some of you need courage to confess. Which, you know, I just want you to tell the Lord, this is what I need. This is what I need. Father, I know that you hear the cries of your people. Father, I know that there's more. There's more power. God, there is more and that you created us to be a people of power. And I pray, God, that whatever has come against your people, whatever has hindered the permission to ask and seek, I pray that you remove it. I pray, God, that you remove our unbelief. I pray, God, that you remove the things that, that we restrict you in our unbelief, God, where we do not act upon your promises, where we do not believe your promises, where we do not confess your promises. And I ask right now, Lord, that in place of whatever has been hindering, that you release the authentic, powerful love of Jesus. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you just fall into this room. I pray that you activate things in your people. God, the great and mighty things that you've deposited in your people, the, the spiritual gifts that you've equipped this church with to be the love of God to their world. Lord, I thank you that your power unlocks hearts, that it unlocks families, that it unlocks corporations, it unlocks workplaces, it unlocks cities, it unlocks nations. And God, we want to see this city transformed. And so we need your power in our lives, God. We need to be clothed with power from on high. And so just like those disciples in the upper room, we cry out on the name of the Lord and we say, God, equip us. Equip us with that which we need to do this work you've called us to. You've called us to do the impossible. You've called us to walk on water. You've called us to see to see promises fulfilled that we can never do in our lifetimes. And so we ask God, we ask that, that you meet us with your power tonight, God. We ask that, I ask that you birth intercession in your people, that we will not be satisfied until we see our experience line up to what the scriptures tell, it, tell us it should be, God. We want to see the love of God in every way that it can possibly be communicated. We want it to be communicated through us as your body, Lord. So we give you praise and we seek you without any shame. We ask you boldly for the power that you promised and we receive it in the mighty name of Jesus.